0: welcome to From the Ground Up with Mark Weller. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a return listener, welcome back. Either way, thanks for listening. We're excited to continue our educational series of episodes today with a new and exciting topic, our awesome world of real estate development. Steve Siegel's back with us as my guest and co-host today, filling in for Mark Weller. Steve, what's
1: going on? Thank you, Matt. Great being back here and uh, enjoy the opportunity.
0: Yeah, we've got a great show. And, uh, you know, we're going to call this the concept for today's episode, Development 101. Uh, we're going to be talking about everything that goes into the process, from acquisition to construction to delivering buildings, open spaces and experiences, you know, everything that we hope people will enjoy when we build things. And um, to help with this conversation, I'd like to welcome Jeff Baker, Managing Director of Development with us at Weller Development Company. Jeff, Welcome.
2: Thank you, Matt. I'm excited to be here.
0: It's awesome to have you, and uh, you know we're going to get into it, and this is going to be really informational for people listening. And you know, as we go, we're we're thinking of the you know recent college graduate or the person that just graduated business school or young, even younger than those folks who want to learn about real estate and or want to switch industries and get into real estate. So we're going to really educate them on the process and what goes into it from soup to nuts. So uh, obviously, both of you have extensive experience, Steve and Jeff, in real estate development. Steve, let's start with you. I know you were on our last podcast, so you introduced yourself then, but give us just a, a snapshot of your of your experience in, in real estate and development.
1: Sure. So I've been um, in the real estate world, so to speak, for about 27 years now. Um, touched really all aspects and asset classes uh, in various capacities from um, office and office leasing to acquisitions on the multifamily side, um, to, you know, in, entitling various multifamily properties and, and opportunities as well as, um, a lot of work on the public private side, public policy side, economic development, um, economic revitalization and so on. Uh, I've done a fair amount of affordable housing work, which, which we talked about, um, on the previous podcast, um, and, uh, and multifamily work. So, um, you know, I, I spent some time in the Fenty administration in, in Washington, D.C., Mayor Adrian Fenty, uh, where we did, uh, got, got quite a bit done there, um, you know, through various economic uh, development policies and uh, a lot of public-private development work. So, um, yeah, it's great to be here and uh, excited to talk more about it. And
0: not to mention uh, instrumental in, in everything going on in Baltimore with the Poor Covington Project. So, uh, we'll look forward to tapping into to that information and that uh, experience that, that you just listed out. So, uh, Jeff, tell us a little bit about your background, uh, you know, where you came from and what you're working on now.
2: Sure, Matt. And um, again, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I've pretty much been working in the ground up development space uh, directly out of college, actually. Um, currently, I'm overseeing the development of the Port Covington Phase 1 phase, what we refer to as the vertical development so that's all aspects of the development process, all the way through design, entitlement, permit, permitting, financing, um, and now the construction phase. Um, so currently, we have over a million and a half square feet and over about $500 million of development value. Um, and most importantly, I think we're, we're really focused on the retail leasing and the placemaking strategy, which really is instrumental in creating our new neighborhood and um, what we're excited about.
0: No, that's great. And and obviously, that's a, a large responsibility that you have in Port Covington. Um, you cut your teeth in the development industry uh, down in D.C. with JBG. And I think a lot of the process you're going to explain, you not only learned at, with Weller Development in, in the Port Covington project, but also, you know, in the earlier part of your career with JBG. Uh, talk a little bit about that experience.
2: Sure. And uh, at JBG, now JBG Smith, they went through a public merger. But at the time, it was called the JBG Companies, I think, one of the best development shops, frankly, in the country, to be honest. Um, they had uh, you know a larger shop in the D.C. area. While I was there, I worked on about 2.5 million square feet of ground-up development across all the different asset types, uh, multifamily, hotel, office, um, a good amount of retail, as well as some larger build-the-suits. Um, So tremendous opportunity there cutting teeth directly out of school from the analyst position to the senior analyst position and then eventually making my way to Weller in 2018 with the biggest thing being obviously the attractiveness of the Port Covington opportunity and the opportunity to work on that.
0: Yeah, and, and working on a lot of really exciting, important stuff and, and doing a great job. And, you know, I've been able to witness firsthand, you know, your, how you work in meetings and how you work with teams and, you know, the process that you run is tight. So if you wouldn't mind, let's start at the very beginning. Take us through, you know, when we start to talk about a project, what do we do at the very beginning, all the way through when it wraps up, and we'll ask questions along the way.
2: Yeah, that sounds great. And you know, obviously, you can come in at any part during the development process. It's it's very rare to start from start to all the way from beginning. But assuming we start from the acquisitions process that we're buying a deal, that's almost the most important part. That's where you're doing all of your upfront due diligence, and that's where you're really focused on the risk versus reward. Um, you know how we would look at a development deal. In many ways, it depends on who our investor is and what our target return is. There's tons of different opportunities and tons of different asset classes, and there's different levels of returns. There's four broad stroke categories of of real estate, versus called opportunistic, value add, core plus, and core. That's across the spectrum of basically how much risk you're willing to take with opportunistic being the most risky. Those are the development projects. You have to take them through rezoning, Maybe there's some other complicated factor to a core asset, which would be more similar to just buying an existing apartment building in downtown D.C. with very little risk on it. So from during the due diligence phase and as you're looking to acquire a property, that's where you're doing most of your upfront work and saying, what can I, does my investor want and how do we evaluate what should go here? And most importantly, how do we get there, particularly from an entitlements uh, standpoint, how do we get to our target pro forma?
0: And Steve, you've done a lot with site acquisitions, and you know, just give us a little bit on uh, on that from your experience. You know how complicated it is, how difficult it is to identify something that's actually going to work, and so on.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you take the Poor Covington project for example, um, you know that was a that was a complicated. Just just the acquisition side of it was challenging um, to keep the investor out of sight um, because. If the uh, public or the, the seller, for example, knew who was behind it, the land values undoubtedly would be pushed higher, right? And so, um, so there had to be, you know, quite a bit of uh, sort of clandestine operation there on the acquisition side. Um, and, uh, you know, once you, once you identify a site, I mean, a large-scale site like Port Covington, um, some of the, the major considerations are infrastructure. You know, a lot of these development projects – um, are limited and, and driven by, for example, um, just site access and, and traffic, for example. Um, and so figuring out how, in that case, you know, it's a peninsula, how you're going to get cars in and out um, and how, what kind of road improvements and highway improvements and um, transit improvements are needed, you know, to, uh, to have that, that project, um, you know, be successful ultimately. Uh, those, those types of considerations had to be taken into account, you know, into account. Um, so there's quite a bit of master planning work um, in in that uh, in that opportunity in particular that had to be considered. Um, and so, you know, the first step there was uh, was was a, you know a big focus on that. Um, and building a team, frankly, that was able to tackle those kind of complex issues. Um, and then you know, you have to kind of understand and and think through, what the site wants to be at the end of the day what types of uses make sense you know um and and how much of each type of use makes sense uh so there's a lot of um you know market evaluation that needs to be done a lot of analysis needs to be done um, a lot of planning you know you got to make sure you're putting the right uses in the right places and and uh and so on. So,
0: and we've really, um, you know, streamlined the process of looking at deals um, to determine whether we're interested in them or not through what we call the pipeline process. Talk a little bit about that, Jeff, and and how you know we evaluate and talk about deals to decide if we want to pursue them or not.
2: Well, I think we've we've really come up with a, um, you know, our deal flow is very high, which is fantastic. And in order to accommodate all of that, we've had to set up a pretty clean, clear, and efficient process for just the quantity of deals we were evaluating. Um, you know, from how we set that up internally, we have a meeting once a week. And, you know, we have a team that's fully uh, analyzing all of, the, all of these deals as they come in. And that, you know, how we start that is we look at something called a back of the envelope, which is a very quick and dirty way of evaluating a deal, saying, what could this building be based on the existing zoning? What could this program be? Should it be an office building? Could it be an apartment building? Or should we look at condos? When working backwards, we say, okay, based on our knowledge of this market, we think it costs this much. We think it'll take this long to build. And then eventually we can solve to the land value. And then that says, are we comfortable paying this price for this asset? this future asset. And we say either yes or no. And that allows us to come up with a very streamlined um, and efficient strategy for evaluating deals. In particular, I think as we as we look at these deals, we, we you know, it expands our knowledge and how we look at each specific market.
0: That's a great explanation. And talk further about the due diligence period. How does that, it's a very, it's a massive process. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of consultants. Um, talk a little bit about that. What goes into that?
2: Definitely. So once you have a deal under control, um, whether that be through just a signed LOI or through an actual purchase and sale agreement, you have to enter the, du- the due diligence period, which is frankly, um, you know, the most important part of the deal. That's where you get all the upfront knowledge about your deal. That's, uh, you're looking at the zoning. You're looking at all of the other periphery entitlements. You're valuing whether there's any environmental risk below the below the ground. You need to make sure there's clear title. You need to understand what the parking requirements are. There are a number of different things. Um, Even during the upfront phase before you own the property, you're probably working with 10 to 15 different consultants. Once you actually own the property, you're working with, you know, up to 50 to 100 consultants across the board, Um, just from a, you know, between designers, architects, engineers, uh, between structural engineers, lighting, acoustical. There's so many moving parts that all go into it. And there's a lot of different strategies frankly, and how the best way is to attack one of these assets, but that upfront due diligence period is is definitely in those first two to three months is typically where you make or break your deal, and that's where you understand your business plan and put together the right team to
0: execute on it and how many just give people an example how many hours go into something like that when you're doing oh. that due diligence period and and how many meetings and
2: well it's Thousands of total hours amongst yourself, you, you know, it's a, a due diligence period is typically around 60 days. Um, some are 30, some are 90, but for a typical one, it's about 60 days and it is a full course sprint. During that time frame. you need to have multiple meetings per week. They're hours long and that's when you really need to get the right team on board. Typically during that process, it's, it's mostly um, theoretical of what could we do here? And that's, you know, that's more oriented towards something called concept design, so in those early stages, you're typically working with an architect to understand what the potential program could be, a land use attorney, which is typically the person who has strong knowledge on what's allowed in that jurisdiction, and then a civil engineer, which is most focused on what can we actually do here from an infrastructure perspective. Then once you move to that next stage of development, that's when you start focusing on that next step of specificity, which would be moving into actual design and schematic drawings. That would be when you work with your design architect and potentially a, a production architect as well. And you basically start honing in on what that program wants to be, what that problem w- uh, program wants to look like. Should this building be a class A building that's targeting top of the market rents? Or should this be a, you know, a, a class B building because we're in a middle market? And what is the best way to get the best return on this asset?
0: So when you say program, explain that.
2: Program, that is exactly what the building should be. If that could be office building, what the asset type is, and how much square foot, and how many stories, and exactly what that combination of uses is.
0: So like types of rooms, square footages, how many of them, all that kind of stuff.
2: Exactly. And, 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 and you know what what folks sp- are uh, focused on specifically, we are a mixed-use developer primarily. That means all of our buildings mostly have retail on the bottom, and they uh, will have different uses on top of them. Our goal as a company, given our focus on placemaking, is to make that retail really, really special, particularly on that focus with the public integration with public spaces um, and have really special retail uses because our belief is once you create that value on the bottom of your building, the top will follow.
0: And that's really the the value proposition uh, that you two bring to the table and the rest of the Weller team really is that the placemaking and then also the expertise on, on really large, complicated urban mixed-use projects. And, you know, you could even take it for the waterfront and, and things of that sort. So talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I would say the Port Covington deal is such a unique and rare example because in many ways you had a total blank slate, as Steve mentioned earlier. There's virtually nothing there before. So that's, you know, for a developer, that's that's a dream. That means you get to create everything from infrastructure to the street grid to whatever, what building should go where during that master planning exercises. And our general thesis is we want to develop along the waterfront, we want to develop in high growth areas, and we want to develop with a placemaking focus in which we control the retail. We have a very strategic merchandising plan and then we can we can integrate that with all the public spaces. So on Port Covington, for example, we got to create all the parks exactly where they would be, how they might integrate with the exist any retail that's already there and the future retail that we're going to build, and that's how we can almost pre- predict where people are going to go, where they're going to want to eat, where they're going to want to work, and, you know, we can just integrate the rest of the uses into that.
0: Okay, that's great. I'll let you take a breath here. I want to throw something to Steve really quickly. So we talked about the acquisition stage and due diligence, and... We're starting to get into the design process and site plans and things of that sort. So at what point, um, you know, talk a little bit about that pre-development stage and working with local governments, you know, the kind of approvals you need, the work that gets going before you break ground on a project, a large project like we typically work on.
1: Yeah. So, you know, in the case of Port Covington, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the quintessential example of a public-private deal that is large scale, that involves the community, involves the political, you know, the, the, the legislature, it involves the mayor, um and it and you know in, in this case that's at the local level, at the uh uh city level, state level, federal level, um in this project as well. So uh there's a lot of work that goes in up front uh before you can, you know, get to the point where you're designing buildings. Um you know, been working on this project for about a decade, about half of that time we spent conceptualizing what this project can be, um, you know, designing the, the uh, developing the master plan, as Jeff was mentioning, the the street grid um, and the, the, the public infrastructure that needs to go in to enable the vertical development, to enable the, the construction of these buildings. And in order to get that development done, you're really expanding the city um, and you're, you're, effectively in partnership with the city um, asking them to uh, to pay for that expansion you know for the expansion the benefit they get is is the job creation the uh, affordable housing in this case the um, tax revenues um, and the momentum uh, frankly of of that project um, which changes perception in general but it will add you know tremendous amount to the tax base so there's a, a value proposition in there for the city um, and uh, and in this case, you know, we asked them to pay for the public infrastructure in the form of tax increment financing, and, and we're able to secure, you know, a $660 million um, TIF uh, tax increment financing um, funding for that infrastructure, uh, you know, to, again, to, to enable the vertical development. And to do that, there's, um, you know, you, you have to convince, you have to, to make the case, right? You have to convince the city, you have to convince the community that, that um, it makes sense to do this, and without the city's help, you can't do it. That's most important. Um, if you have the community support, and this is the case with any project uh, where you need – where there's public input, um, where you're, for example, trying to change the zoning um, and you know, you're know you asking for um, municipal tax dollars to be um, directed into the project – you need the community and the legislature, in this case, the council, to support that. Um, and so there's, you know, a, a very substantial effort needed to, um, you know, to persuade the, the community that this is a good idea, this is a good thing. Um, and in this case, it was a large corporate user that was, you know, sort of the catalyst of the project and it allowed that that company to expand and grow in the city and hire more people and you know again the tax revenues that that spin off from the project and so on and the affordable housing all the benefits that come with it are uh, a part of the bargain
0: all right we're going to take a break in our development 101 podcast series so check back in with us for part two of the podcast until then i'm matt rienzo and he's steve siegel filling in for mark weller keep building people